HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hi, this is Joe Campanelli, the host of In the Drink. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. This is a special April 2015 Cider Sessions show. I got uh, American Fine Cider Movements in town. I got Field Maloney from West County in Massachusetts and Lulu from Farnham Hill in New Hampshire. They're doing they're doing a special uh, tasting at Murray's Cheese Bar this week. We've got a lot going on in the world of cider, and I'm really proud to uh, be capturing it here on Beer Sessions Radio. Uh, thanks to our su- supporters, Union Beer Distributors, supplier of world-class ales, lagers, and ciders. Um, Jimmy from Jimmy's Number 43 in the East Village. All right, you can also follow us on Twitter at beer underscore sessions. There's a lot going on in the world of beer and cider here on Beer Sessions Radio. All right, so Phil Maloney, West County, and, and Lulu. Is it Lulu Wood? You no, know, Spencer, actually. I, it doesn't necessarily pay to be a wood in Lebanon, New Hampshire, so I held on to my old name. <laughs> <laughs> we got a lot, a lot of bases to cover, but, but what I like about having both of you here is that you have probably two of my favorite ciders in the world, and, you, and you're made in the Northeast. And uh, we've known each other for a while through things like Cider Week mm-hmm. and everything. But I've, I've, And I've we're been, two of the oldest cider companies. Mm-hmm. So let, let's talk a little about that. So, so Phil, tell us how you, let's pop some of these corks and we'll, we'll taste and talk as we go. Tell us about how, how your family uh, started up making cider. Because not too long ago, people thought cider was uh, for kids. Yeah. Uh, Hoppa. Hoppa. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa, that's a force. Whose who's cider has more uh, Do you want too? Depends on the batch. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit handmade that way. <clears throat> Take me a little... I do. I mean, we've had a lot of shows. We, we've talked to your husband, Steve Wood. Mm-hmm. We've had a lot of shows talking about cider, that it's orchard-based, agriculture-based. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes, and that's really, I'd say, what we're really about. We, we're calling it fine cider for now be, because people know the phrase fine wines, and we're trying to get that across. But really what we're talking about is orchard cider, that the all the fluids, the beautiful fluids that... Um, uh, the tasting at Murray's Cheese Bar will feature are all s- 
made from juices that come from specific orchards and have specific varieties in them. And that, of course, is a minuscule fraction of what the American cider market looks like now. Because, you know, you have everything from the mass market to the, our, our snobby little handcrafted things. And we need to be noticed because it's a big world with a lot of noise in it. <laughs> and also, I think it's sort of... The focus is on what the orchard gives you and working with that. Like, a lot of ciders is just sort of concentrating water and sugar. And I think that most of us are coming from an apple-growing background, and, and, and it's sort of like the cider is made in the orchard, and you're trying to really see what you can do with the land and the fruit. And, you know, it's sort of grower cider, and it, you know, rather than just... Mixing some concentrate in the water and sugar, which which isn't to say that I think that that I don't respect that kind of cider too. And but but we're going for something that uh, really brings out the essence of the fruit from a particular place, grown in a particular way, you know, in a particular vintage. I mean, I think that's the other thing people don't. The thing about cider, like beer, is I think much easier to make the same batch. Cider's much more like wine, where every year you can have the same fruit and or the same orchard, and the cider's going to be different, just because some years the sugars are high, some years you get more of this flavor, more of that flavor, and so it's this incredibly... Um, part of what's cool about it is it's not uniform, that, that every, every, every Farnham Hill cider, West County cider, is going to, you know over the years is going to be different because it's going to be an expression of yeah, the orchard and the land at that specific vintage, that specific harvest. Let's talk about the old days. So how did you guys start West County? Because I've, I've heard about it for a long time. Yeah, my my, um, my parents, when they were... My, uh, this is my breakfast. It's a Sunday. <laughs> Sunday in April, this it's is my breakfast. You. Did you know, John, John, Quincy, John Quincy Adams ate uh, two tankards of cider for breakfast every morning. And he did all right. But uh, my parents had made wine. My dad was in medical school. This is back in like 65 or 66. And my mother, and they were living in San Francisco and then in Berkeley. And um, my mother was going to Berkeley. And they had a friend who had a vineyard in Carneros, which is in the south of Napa. And this was before the whole Napa wine thing got going. And they would go up and make wine with him. And then when they were... They were living with a bunch of other medical students in Sausalito, and, and there was this old barn, and they met this old paisano who grew huge bats of Zinfandel grapes, and they, they so they, they made their own wine. And then my parents moved back to the East Coast uh, in like 1970, and there was no, you couldn't grow grapes there. But even though we haven't. You know, ciders just just hit the public consciousness in in in, in recent years. Um, out in the country, uh, New England or- orchard country, you know, Massachusetts orchard country, there were still a lot of people making cider. Mostly, was sort of an old farm tradition. So they sort of saw this farm tradition, and they want they liked. I think my dad wanted to figure out a way to m- make his land sustainable, so he's you know, or grow something and. 
And so, like, gradually, it was all forest, and gradually we cleared the land, planted an orchard. Our orchard's quite small. Started making cider. Um, so they, they made cider for themselves in the 70s, and in 1984, I was in, like, fifth grade, we became a bonded winery. So we're, this, is, this was our 30th year of production, was uh, 2014. And, and I think my father's idea was... Here's this lovely. Here, here's this fruit, and this this, this incredible cider, drink yeah. that no one's that no one's <laughs> uh, paying attention to, but it's it's the local drink, and if you apply sort of winemaking techniques to making cider, and so we did that, and and for the first two decades. Uh, as Lulu can tell you too, like now it's people are interested in cider. Cider's getting it's it's not as hard to get people to try cider. Right. In the nineties, oh my word, it was hard to get people to try cider, but we kept pushing. We kept pushing, and it's it's been very gratifying. Uh, my father died uh, five years ago, but it was nice before he died. You really there had been five years of cider, sort of. This dream that he had had, that he was pushing, but for a long time there was this immense sense of just sort of crying in the darkness, you know, like try cider, try no, I only want beer, I only want wine, and and this this thing that he and, he and my mother had sort of pushed was sort of taking off and leaving house and flowering, so that was good that he got to experience that, and, and it's only sort of flowering further, and that the American fine ciders is neat because it's partly. A collective because we're all friends who've been making cider for a long time and have sort of advised each other, tasted each other's ciders. So, um, let's go back. So, where in Massachusetts are you? We're in uh, Coleraine, which is hard up on the Vermont border. Uh, about it's it's on the edge of the Pioneer Valley in the Berkshires. So, uh, like 45 minutes due north of uh, Amherst and Northampton. Did you so have, way out in the woods. Were there already the a lot of wild uh, or whatever heritage cider trees there, or did you have to, to graft or plant? And tell no, us the process of, of developing your orchard. Well, well, our orchard, basically what happened, we started planting in, our first block we planted in 86. Um, because the only fruit we could get was just the standard orchard fruit, like Max. Um Cortlands, um, and there was all this lore, but even though there were still people making cider here and there, like a few old farmers making cider here and there around us, like most of the old trees had been lost, and most of the um, knowledge of this tree is good for cider, that um, that tree is good for cider, no one really knew, and and so... My father and mother read a lot of the old books from the 1800s about where they would have reports on this was supposed to be, you know, the Tremlett's Bitter was supposed to be a great apple or the uh, Dabinette or the, uh, you know, uh, Ren de Palm. And so what, what they did partly was there's an orchard. It's, it's written about in Botany of Desire if, if, if in the apple section, which is a w- wonderful book. The apple section, highly recommended. But there's an orchard in Geneva, New York, that it's part of like the Cornell Ag School. 
and it is the largest collection of apple varieties in, in, in the northern hemisphere. They have something like 30,000 apple varieties. And so my father knew one of the guys who worked at that orchard. And so he went walking through that orchard cutting, because, because apple trees aren't planted from seed. You graft them. So like an apple tree is basically the same tree. It would be like if you cut off someone's arm, stuck it in the ground, it would still be... It, you're not. It, there's no sex. It's, it's cloning. cloning. It's cloning. Yeah. You could do that for baseball pitchers. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, and so we. I've so been we, here all Red Sox fans. Uh, no, I'm a Red Sox fan. Well, She's a Yankees fan. No, player. no, I'm actually kind of fatigued with both of them. <laughs> Orioles. Chin chin. Orioles. <laughs> um, but so you cut off what's called uh, cyan wood, which is little branches. So he went with this guy who worked in that orchard. And cut off about 50 different varieties of different trees that were supposed to be good for this reason or that one. One of the ones I'm most proud of is the Redfield apple, which uh, is now being grown across the country. But it was to- no one had planted it. It was totally forgotten in the corner of the Geneva orchard. And they were like, this tree is cool. It has hot pink red flesh. Like, it's really wild. And my dad's like, oh, I'll try planting a few of those. So our orchard was basically a test orchard in that it was about 50 varieties on planted. The first block was about an acre. So it's it's not like, it's like, look, a few trees here, a few trees there. And, and the thing was, we would kind of see, oh, I really like this one. And then when we really liked it, then we'd go plant more of those. And, um, and so, you know, we're still sort of planting to see what, we think makes incredible cider, but we also have these trees that like we'd started off planting five trees and then, you know, it's a long time because it takes like seven to 15 years depending for between planting a tree and the, and the, and the, and the fruit coming, you know, in any number, but it was, so we planted all these trees and gradually said, Oh, I really like the cider that comes from this one or, I really like the cider. So like the Redfield, we, we've now, we got 1,500 more Redfield trees coming next spring. So it's like. <laughs> Let me jump in on that one. We, we, we got some of your ciders this winter and yeah. I have the Redfield. So tell us, I mean, the, the color of the juice was also like a pinkish red. Right. Because it's, it's like the flesh is so, the flesh is beet red and, and so it. Like the juice is this hot, hot pink, and even when it's fermented, it it stays this reddish color. It's um, it's really wild. It's it's kind of one of those fun party tricks to be walking through the orchard with someone who does another Redfield and give him an apple and say, "Take a bite," and then because it's quite tart too. Like as Louisa can tell you, like <laughs> sometimes app this the fruit that's the best for making cider is a little intense, maybe too intense for. You know, it isn't like eating a, a, a red delicious or something. It's like your mouth kind of gets overwhelmed with tannins or with acid, and and uh, oh yeah, I mean, cider apples would make the pies from hell. They, yeah, sometimes be, it would be a, an evil trick to put it in the lunchbox. It's, there's bad, bad, bad tastes there. Until, some 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 cider apples are good. It. Oh yeah, that's true. No, there are a few, there are quite a few, but there are definitely some real funky ones. Yeah, we call them crossovers at the farm. You know, if, yeah. they, if they eat well and they cider well, uh, yeah. if there aren't a lot of them. Uh, Lou, since we're talking to you, tell us when, when you first met 
the Maloney's and, and well, West County. Well, I side think of it was we we were um, they were certainly much earlier than we were in getting into cider because we were, we had what we you know we had a wholesale orchard um, selling into the grocery market and that made less and less and less sense. But it took quite a long time to kind of wake up and realize that the best Macintosh in the world. We're not going to keep our place afloat. So, um, but Steve, you had lots of experience. They have lots of experience growing with apples. the horticulture. They've yeah. been growing yeah. apples for what? Oh yeah. Well, Steve 50 been, years. No, 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 no. Oh my God. No, no. Steve kind of got sucked into it. He's the first generation. We're the first generation to be growing apples on that land. And the backstory of that orchard is, is too weird. Right. I think to go into, <laughs> but, um, but what ended up happening was for a while there, we had this, you know, crackerjack Macintosh coming out of this, this sort of the northern limit of where you could safely grow Macintosh and get them really hard and crunchy, which Macintosh are not known for. And so we used to be able to get premium prices when there was any differentiation in the Mac market. But the whole commercial um, grocery apple market started to flatten and then just die for the New England growers for a host of reasons. First, it was a huge offensive on the beautiful, bright, waxed red delicious from the West Coast, and people were so much more interested in what looked good under fluorescent lights in the grocery store than they were in flavor that Max got kind of beat up on. Then came the Granny Smith from China. the Southern Hemisphere. Well, no, China. China wasn't even a thought then. No, the China thing is much more recent, but first it was uh, South Africa Granny Smith, the Granny Smith, New Zealand Granny Smith, and they come, of course, they're fresh in the middle of our winter because they have the opposite seasons to ours. So that was bad. So everyway, Max were getting beaten up and our prices were just dropping, dropping, dropping. And then they said, make them bigger. And then they said, wax them. And we thought we can't make them bigger and waxing ruins them. So, so we had to look further. So we planted a whole load of heirloom apples, which look funny, taste fabulous. And we did pretty well with those at very high prices for a while. But then we took the next step in the 80s and planted 10 acres of apples that are coming inedibly tannic and bitter and weird. And, and we're off to a, was the, off to a great, great start with the show. The first cider we're drinking is the West County Macintosh. We'll be back in a few minutes, and we'll talk more about cider on Beer Sessions Radio. Okay. In 1996, El Knife & Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. This is a special show with American Fine Cider Movement with uh, Louisa Spencer of Farnham Hill. Farnham Hill Ciders. And uh, Phil Maloney of West County Cider. So, uh, Lulu, you were just talking about how you guys went from growing, eating fruit. Max and Cortlands and McCowns. And to yeah. cider fruit. Yeah. And uh, one one thing, Phil, tell us about this cider because you, you actually are making a fine cider yeah, with I'm, Macintosh. I'm, I'm proud of... I'm proud of 
or Mac Cider, because I feel like <laughs> Matt Mac was sort of the 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 wisdom the convent the wisdom among cider makers. I would say that the word on the street is that Mac makes no good cider. Like, and um, I we we've made. A couple Mac, Mac ciders for the last probably ten years, but in the last couple of years, I got sort of into it because I there's an orchard, a Mac orchard that it's, it's really old trees, and we pick them really ripe, and uh, you get a lot of nose, and you get um, so I've really I've really ended up loving our Mac ciders, even though we we grow like our that test orchard I was talking about like we grow dabinets rendapalm we grow these very tannic so we're sort of have a foot in both worlds where um and uh I was sort of delighted with with uh how how these max ciders came out and and uh we're probably going to continue to make them uh Lula did you ever try to make a cider with macintosh Oh yes we did uh, we would have been you know if we had figured out how to do it um, life would have been a lot more straightforward, but we could not figure out how to do it. Certainly, in the time we felt we had, and we had all, we had kind of committed to um, to diversifying our crop uh, mix already because we had planted a whole bunch of kind of colonial era apples and English apples from three, four, five hundred years ago. What are some of their names? Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So you know, we had Ashmead's Kernel. Which a Dr. Ashmead in Gloucester had had discovered in you know seventeen whatever, and um, and, that whatever. Turns, <laughs> and that turns out to make an absolute killer, super sharp fermentation batch, which acts as a sharp for us. You need high acid, high tannin, and high sugar to make a good balanced cider, as far as we're concerned. The fact that he can do it with Macintosh is, as far as we're concerned, magic. Um, so, so in our unmagic way, we we have a, a wide range of um, different. They're magical. Apples. Don't believe it. <laughs> partly, partly from, partly from having been through this grocery phase with the heirloom apples. So, for example, golden russet, which is a colonial apple. George Washington would have been chewing on a golden russet sitting on his white horse. Wonderful you know? apple and for everywhere. eating or for yeah, exactly. A glass That's of the thing. It's, it's like the Swiss Army knife of apples. So, um, so it makes it for our bases, and our, it's kind of a great middle fruit for a lot of our blends. And we had a lot of those for the grocery thing, and we're, and we're planting more. Asopus Spitzenberg, same thing. Thomas Jefferson loved Asopus Spitzenberg. That was Spitzenberg. his favorite apple. It was yeah. his favorite apple, but he couldn't grow it. Why? Because it was a Northern New York apple originally, and it refused to live. In Virginia, I also heard he wasn't as good a farmer as people think. Yeah, right. Or maybe he. Yeah, it was more about writing about it than doing it. But still, <laughs> you know. But he anyway. He was right to love this apple. I mean, you you bite into it, and you think TJ had great taste. But yes. um, but but the problem was, of course, for him, he couldn't grow. It. We can grow it beautifully, and uh, and it, and they are really like Farnham Hill. Steve, I mean, Steve's been growing for for a really long time, and they're. Like the golden russet, I find a really difficult apple to grow, and Steve is sort of a, 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 a difficult, you know, an apple whisperer of these tricky varieties to grow. Uh, but they are a giant pain. I mean, if you were picking them at uh, for a regular market at regular regular market prices, you would never grow them because right. they don't fruit densely. They're right. not efficient. You know, if you're trying to if you're trying to eke out a grocery store margin, forget it. That's yeah. why nobody's grown them in any bulk. And I want to say, in terms of like early years of uh, when I was probably in like maybe twelve or thirteen, I remember my father saying, "Oh, there's this guy Steve Wood who's 
planting. I, I think I had somehow thought it was 60, but it was 10 acres, which is a huge amount of heirloom apple trees. And he was so, because del- it's kind of like, at that point, most growers would think that was totally insane. Do you know what I mean? Like there was, it was, and now it's been this really visionary thing that like, and, and, and the heirloom fruit that, that Lulu and Steve grow not only makes their ciders, but actually is in a lot of the artisanal ciders going around the country because very early on before anyone, you know, both of us were sort of trying for cider when it still seemed insane. Mm-hmm. Right, right. <laughs> and the insane people got together. I mean, I can remember your dad would come. We we borrowed like this. Yeah, thing that very. Put the, we the crown capper or something. They were always trucking back and forth with shared. And we get fruit from you. We we have over the years too and made ciders from their fruits. Right. So there's been that. That was one of the nice things about cider. Yeah. I don't know if it's, I hope it's going to be able to stay, but there was this true spirit of camaraderie. um, Oh, I think Of the early cider makers. And and definitely the ethic was more um, help each other. Definitely, like, some friendly competition. Like, everyone's wanting to make a good cider and have other people. But there's a strong sense of, yeah, just, just helping each other in all kinds of ways. And we've definitely... Yeah, for... Because we're forever. only about an hour and a half away. But. Right. And it's, you know... You know, when well. you guys got... When you started, you got to meet a few of the other cider makers who are now... You're calling it the American Fine Cider Movement. Kind of. We well, are. the invitation kind of. for the tasting. Yeah, that's what we, no, <laughs> we, we said... Um, we call it American Fine Ciders, but we're not... I guess it's a movement. That makes sense, I guess. It is a movement. We're, we've you, gotten you shelled it. by some people for the phrase fine cider. Some people say, oh, well, it's you, such you, a You did a tasting stupid. last summer. You're, you're doing yeah, a tasting this month. I know, but it's... So who, who's in the group right now? Oh, okay. You're long time. So okay, they're all orchardists, right? They're all growing their yes. own apples. Although a couple of them are... Are buying in apples the way a winemaker would with enormous discrimination and discipline. You know, not everybody grows everything they need. But so what we are calling orchard ciders are are um, ciders that are based on a on intense discrimination um, in the choice of apples from particular orchards. So, for example, a lot of when our um, some of our juices go to people who just don't grow what we grow, but they can't get them anywhere else, and they wouldn't get them anywhere else. So that makes it that makes their cider an orchard cider just by definition. You know, um, it's not as though they're going on the open market for it. So anyway, uh, so we have. I'm going to go in alphabetical order: Eden Ice Cider, Northern Vermont. Northeast Kingdom. Northeast Kingdom. They make this celestial ice cider. We don't even like ice cider, but we like theirs. I mean. It's what angels drink, honestly. It's really yeah, and and they do it by sh- sticking the tanks outside and letting that their horrible weather freeze the stuff, and then they. T- I mean, it's a long process, and I won't go into it, but it's, it's magnificent what they end up with. And then we have. Um, oh, and they're making a dry cider now with champagne-like. In other words, um, I think they're pretty much the only one in the group. Maybe I don't know, but they're doing what's called a dosage, where you have a. Fermentation. Oh no, in Eves the does that. Oh, Autumn, Eves does Autumn that and Ezra, too. They do yeah. that as well. Yeah. Just kind of special. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so going in alphabetical order, then there's Eve's Cider, which is upstate New York. And they have a, a, a lot of weird varieties, and they they do straight method champenoise, and they do a beautiful, beautiful job. And, um, and all, that's all I can say about them is that they are leaders in New York State. They're a lot younger than we are. I mean, what has happened? 
over the years is that people called Steve up when they're thinking about going into cider, and he's told them, yeah, do it, and here's how you do it. And we've sent them cyan wood, and people, a lot of our wood, our DNA from our, from our test orchards goes off as little sticks to other people's orchards, and they make their own trees, and they plant their own trees, and, and it goes yeah, off Yeah, that's there. part of the cool, yeah, like, yeah. like, in terms of the ethic of camaraderie, the funny thing is a lot of our orchards have partly come from sending yeah. sticks to... Or getting sticks from other cider makers and other growers, like like I just sent Diane, who's uh, Lulu's about to talk about, but uh, <laughs> she she got uh, fifty redwood. Um, she's top working fifty uh, redfield trees. So that oh, really? Was, so That's I sent, fun. Him, sent sent down to her just yeah. a couple weeks ago. But it's sort of neat to see. Yeah, this, yeah. It's sort of like a lot of cross pollination. Yeah, and it's worth knowing that their redfield DNA is going to grow very differently in Virginia. We we had the I had the weird experience once of needing one of Diane's pictures of I forget what it was some one of the one typical looking apple we thought it was typical looking her picture of it didn't look like anything like our picture of it and I'm thinking oh my god what am I going to do it wasn't as red it wasn't as small it wasn't as you know a lot of things and it tasted different so her ciders are automatically different regardless of whether she's using the same apples or not you know and and so that whole terroir thing that people go on on about in wine. Is entirely true of cider it's too. It's real. It's real. Yeah. I mean, you can even I, I noticed like we made a couple different sort of single orchard max last year, and markedly different quality. Not quality in terms; they're both really good, but an orchard two miles away, two different orchards two miles away, slightly different exposure, mm-hmm. and you know all this sort of whatever the mysterious thing that makes the DNA of an orchard, but the fruit and the juice came out very differently. So that's, that's just two miles away. So yeah. there's this, this, like, it's not, it's not just a marketing fantasy, uh, you know, this, the idea it's of, a, it of is terroir like and orchards. Yeah. yeah. And the fact is, you know, it's true of artichokes. It's true of every crop that there are conditions that, that alter the, the kind of, in, the chemistry of that crop wherever you wherever you plant it. Anyway, I wasn't very far down the list. Okay, F. But wait, let's talk about this cider. So now we have okay. a Farnham Hill. Farnham Hill. That's it is we, delicious. That's, Extra yeah. dry. Yeah. Well, okay, we're, F is Farnham Hill. That's us. We, um, we've been in the orchard business a very long time, and I think um, one of the things that propelled us um, into cider making was Doesn't just... Doesn't sound good on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I haven't heard it on the radio. Um, so... We were just didn't we were not going to grow houses as so many of the New England orchardists that we knew had guys who were second and third generation were walking around on land that was worth tens of millions of dollars with developments all around them and they were growing max profitlessly and it just kind of got embarrassing so big orchard after big orchard. Um, disappeared and we suddenly became a big orchard we had been kind of lower mid-size in New England before that and then um, and what with our our hopes for the cider business we actually bought some land and planted more bittersweets and that's when everyone was like Steve's crazy maybe you'll pull it off (laughs) talk about leveraging Um, anyway (laughs) anyway so that you know so that was and it was very hard for a while because um, I mean as the, the, the person who's out there kind of pouring and explaining, I can remember people getting furious, you know? The word cider to them meant a nice brown juice that you get in the fall and there's a donut somewhere around there. You know? That's what they like, were ready for. I like donuts. And you have to get the... Yeah, well, donuts, I'm sorry. Well, it might work. I don't know, Jimmy. It might work. But um, 
So, so you get these people going, young woman, this is not cider. And of course, you have to find a tactful way to say, so you never had a passport, huh? Because it is, you know, because it, <laughs> <laughs> it is cider in the rest of the world. And the only reason we don't know about that is that we had our little prohibition problem. And which cut that, us off from our tradition. Let's go back to that. America, great cider country. Great cider country. And then, Phil, you were telling me about what happened around the time of the Civil War. Oh, that, um, going way Basically, back. In the way that, that, that these, you know, the sort of... Back when Steve was in college. Oh, if, come if now. You, uh, <laughs> no, he was already graduated from college by then. You guys uh, are so funny. Uh, basically, cider was a number one uh, drink of, of colonial America, and really America up until around the Civil War, and then beer surpassed it. I, I'm talking about in terms of in terms of gallons consumed nationally, if you know... And what that was, was showing a larger picture of sort of changing America, which is, you know, people were moving to the cities and manufacturing was coming and we were becoming largely urban and largely largely manufacturing rather than being sort of homesteaders in the country with a few apple trees and people need some booze, they use what's at hand and make this drink. And then, and it was also, I think, just in terms of immigration patterns the the early flood of uh people working of, of, of people working the factory were often german immigrants who brought beer making so so then beer making really flourished and cider kept going but uh, it was sort of on a you know uh becoming less and less you know uh prevalent over the but definitely in Apple Country, where 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 they live and where we live, it was there. But even then, you know, it got so farmers' sort of go-to drink was Budweiser rather than yeah. cider. And and um, Mr. Anheuser figured out how to how to make refrigerated railway cars too, which had a lot to do with shipping beer around. I mean, he was a technical innovator too so there was a, a lot of market forces at work yeah. but I'd say in every house over a certain age that you go into in New England you go downstairs and if they haven't cleaned it out there's a barrel or two there yep. ours certainly had one in it you know uh, so people were still making it for themselves and their friends in yeah. apple country in yeah apple in country. apple country yeah well you could, it and didn't you, travel even you know a lot of homes even built in 1900 they mm-hmm. came with an apple and a pear tree in the backyard mm-hmm. which is where I grew up in Massachusetts yeah too. Hey, so tell us again. This is the extra dry cider. This is the extra dry cider. So um, what do you guys? You, you have all these crazy apple trees up there in. They're Farm not Hill. crazy. They just um, they were just unusual when we planted them, but they make perfect sense in the uh, context they came from. And the thing we did, which um, which hadn't been done before, was to plant a lot of apples that were good for nothing but cider. The way certain wine grapes are good for nothing but grapes. And, and the this, delicious tannins you get in this cider right here is the flower of that in terms yeah. of... You want to join our marketing department, yeah. which doesn't exist? <laughs> you, you, anytime. Well, tell us the, t- the taste of this field. So it's there's good tannins. Yep. And it, it has a sort of sturdy quality and a kind of complexity that's hard to get. In fact, impossible to get without these so-called bittersweets and bittersharp apples, which are, when you bite into them, they tend to be dry and mealy because the juice is very concentrated, and they tend to be extremely bitter. So it's really quite disturbing, even though, for example, a bittersweet has much higher sugar than a red delicious. When you bite it, what you get is this faceful of bitterness, so you can't even find the sugar. 
And the bitter sharps have high tannins and very high acid, which is very important not only for flavor balance, but for clean fermentation. And those, of course, okay, combine, you know, the bitterness of a, of a tea leaf with the, um, with the acids of a lemon, and definitely it's not pleasant, you know, don't make up high. So, um, so, but those are critical if you want a really balanced, complex, and also um, kind of durable cider, because another aspect of the tannins is that they help preserve the stuff. As my friend Ray Dieter from DBA Bar used to say, drink good stuff, and American Fine Cider is a good stuff. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer <laughs> Sessions Radio. Back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. This is a special Cider Sessions show. I'm with uh, Louisa Spencer of Farm Hill and Field Maloney of West County. Finally, two ciders in. I can remember their names and talk clearly. But this is, <laughs> basically, this is a Sunday morning in April. Um, having cider for breakfast, which is one of my favorite things to do. And we're talking about the American fine cider movement. So, so Lulu, keep going through the list. You mentioned... Okay, okay, you know, you so we did the Eden. Eden so Eves. we're now down to Foggy Ridge, which is in... Western Virginia in hill country, and they she has the steepest orchards I have ever seen. I always wanted to go. I'm, I'm thinking her tractors must roll all the time. <laughs> anyway, Diane Flint is the entrepreneur here. She had an earlier business life, but she did first cider maker in the south. Oh, she? Yep. Oh, okay. Good, good for you. I didn't know, but and she is um, she's just a fabulous figure, and her ciders are largely based on cider apples of that region. She found the ones with cider reputations, and she propagated those. And she, like so, Harrison's and uh, Granny Winkle. And well, see, good. Thank you for remembering all that, because all I know is the general part. And I think she and she we also planted some of her sticks. Oh, good, oh, good. Up in Coleraine. <laughs> well, see, I hope they're all right. They're yeah. doing good. Oh, good. You guys are talking <laughs> sticks. You trading sticks and yeah, well, yeah, because they're sticks. called scions formally, you know. And the, the, the thing about these sticks is that the first thing you do with them is you graft them onto a Don't tree you, you already that sound have. Of the <laughs> side of corn on the radio. I don't know. I haven't heard it. Keep going. Um, anyway, so basically when we say sticks, we're talking about the, the suckers <clears throat> that we cut off any given tree. They have, they have a whole column of buds on them. If you're making trees out of them, each bud becomes a tree. And we generally send that to specialist nurseries to do. You're missing that Lulu talks with her hands, so she can't toast and talk at the same no, time. No, I certainly can't. And, um, <laughs> and, the, uh, and so um, what's, uh, what I was interested in when, when uh, Field said that he had planted some of her Virginia apples is that they're going to have, what, three or four weeks more of winter with mm-hmm. you at mm-hmm. least mm-hmm. and a correspondingly shorter growing mm-hmm. season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we brought over a lot of English and French apples, you know, which are usually like five months and they're loafing through the growing season and they're never really going to freeze a whole lot. And, and, and going to England was part of your inspiration, oh, right? Oh, to of make course cider it was. Reasonable. Yeah, that's where the bittersweets and bitter sharps were. There weren't any in this country. That but you guys, had, you and Steve had traveled there? We so? have people there. We have people. My sister lives over there. We have, we have old friends. You know, it was a pure... Coincidence that we were over there seeing them, and Steve was looking out the, it's like in the car windshield. Yeah, yeah, long time ago. 
Um, and he sees these bizarre orchards. He knows they're orchards, but they look all wrong from a, a fruit grower's point of view in this country because they're, they have tall, straight stems. They're pruned like witch's brooms. Clearly, you don't, you're not sending a picker in there because there's nowhere to put a ladder. There are animals in there, which if you're growing for grocery fruit, you don't have sheep grazing in your <laughs> orchard because you're using some stuff to make those apples beautiful that sheep don't like, you know? And so it's, it's, so he thought, oh my, what is going on here? So he knocked on the door and they explained that these were cider orchards. And that the way they harvest over there is to shake them down. So they prune with this tall stem that can be shaken by a machine and the apples will thump to the ground and then they kind of hoover them up. We don't do that. We, we have different approaches. But anyway, the point is, though, that's what got him into the subject. And in the following years, he went around and saw every really kind of noticeable cider maker in the whole country, particularly in Somerset, the West Country, and got to know a lot of field managers, got to know people who worked for Bulmers, and began to understand that there was a world of cider that America had no understanding of. And if you're in the apple business for keeps and you're in New England you have very few choices and so he decided to go for broke and plant you know the apples that nobody eats and, and so if you say want to def- define what American fine cider movement is yeah. which we're making up um, you're right we're making it up is it yes. is it an English tradition that no, we, we would look to no absolutely not no, no it's, it's an American a, tradition no, exactly because we're making stuff um, we're using it for example we use one English apple called Ashmead's kernel that has no cider history in, in England at all, but it makes our, it lends a kind of floral gorgeousness to our ciders that I've never noticed in an English cider. They have much, they have a tradition which is in a way more limited. Uh, this being America is acting typically American. People are making things up and seeing if they work and seeing if people like them. And um, and the old styles that are spoken of, like the New England style, we don't even recognize that. I mean, well, I don't know. What's that? You put and what does ra- it mean? It's hard to say. What, in or yeah. something. I mean, that's the neat thing about cider is that we're still, everything's still being figured out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's this totally new frontier, even for those of us who've been doing it for 30 years. Right. It's like... We're sort of learning as we go, and there's there's so much. It's it, you know, it's definitely still this unendingly surprising yeah. and sort of sometimes baffling, yeah. sometimes pleasing, sometimes, sometimes em- vexing, embarrassing, <laughs> deeply embarrassing. Yes, the things that go down the drain are not always you know not always what we talk about. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, it's and it's you know, it's the chemistry of life that you're working with, and life packs a lot of surprises. So, I mean, people say to us all the time, when are you going to make Calvados? And we go, we're going to be dead before we understand how to make cider. Are you kidding? <laughs> Calvados? You know, because Calvados is distilled cider, and then you put it in a cellar for 12 years, and then hooray. But we, we're not going to get there. You know, good, good for any American who does. It's going to take another 25 years at least. Because you have to go at the pace of woody plants and the land and the market, too. Like, let's say I, I let's say I, I had a friend with a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And he loves cider, and I know uh-huh. there's guys doing this now. Uh-huh. And I found a great place in yeah. somewhere in America that was good for growing cider trees. And I was going to start from scratch. Uh-huh. What would I have to go through, and how long would it take before I could actually make and you know grow and all this stuff and have decent cider? Is it five years, ten years, twenty years? I'd say it's. It, it's I mean, the thing is. 
apple growing is hard. Like Steve is a particularly good. He's one of the best. But you can student. hire people. You yeah, I mean, I guess if you're willing to, yeah, if you can do all that. You've got all the money in the world. You've got all the money in the world. Yeah, okay, you've got all the money. And and I'm assuming, okay, here's a a major assumption, and a lot of it gets back to grafting. I'm assuming when you bought this land, there are at least a few old trees on it, old apple trees, because what this allows you to do is to test all kinds of varieties without having to grow them from scratch. It takes quite a while to grow an apple tree that's going to bear any amount of fruit because the wood has to develop to the point where the tree is willing to make fruits that it can hold up, you know, um, and this is mysterious, but it's true. So five, six, seven years from from planting a whip, so called, to getting fruit, at least, and then then not much fruit at that. But if you're trying to decide what you're going to plant, what you can do is graft varieties onto your old trees, a little pencil-sized stick, it's called and, top working. Yeah, well, even you know, we we did one branch at a time just to yeah, check them yeah, out, yeah. and so you say you've got. 50 old trees, and you put 50 different varieties on one branch of each of those old trees. In two or three years, you're going to get apples off that branch, and you could start making cider in carboys. This is what we did to find out if there was you know, any prospects for this stuff. And, and so you can get a lot of practice in while you're doing that. Meanwhile, in the fields you have open, you can plant rootstocks because every... Um, Every professional orchard, not only the trees cloned, but they're usually assembled as well from the rootstocks, which determine the shape and height of the tree. So, and and so you figure out what rootstocks are going to work in your fields. And some will some will bear much quicker, like in right, 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 seven right. years, but, and some but, fifteen. But hold on, I'm, I'm getting there. Um, and then when you decide what you want to plant, your rootstocks are already going. You whack the tops off and put your varieties right on there. And that's how you you kind of condense the amount of time it will take you to get a cider orchard going. So theoretically, you could get a cider orchard started in five years after testing the varieties. Theoretically, but not producing much. I'd no, say, till 10. no. And then you have to yeah. And then you have to wait. Um, in our own case, we had a cider orchard going great guns before we could before we could use or sell all the fruit. And for in the like, in the nineties and the aughts. Um, we, uh, the 90s are over. I know, Doc. But uh, but we lived then, and we had more fruit at that time, cider fruit, than we could use, and nobody wanted it. And so in, in the succeeding years, when suddenly we began to hear that bittersweets were in demand and so on, still it was pretty slow. And then there came a year, and I forget when it was, 2007, 2008, or whenever it was, when we no longer had to, to let them drop when they were all picked. And I swear to God, our field manager cried. I think Fitz <laughs> Campbell cried to see them all out of there at last. What year was that? I can't really remember. See, that it's all a blur to me. But um, but it was quite recently. It took a it took a while, and it and that all depended on the increase in the number of serious cider makers who cared enough to pay the money to get the juice from those apples. That was a sea change. Yep. I mean, well, you and you and we were waiting for something to happen, but then it did, in fact, happen. Yeah, yeah. Kind of wish it had happened five years earlier, but it didn't, so what? And, and so people like um, Eve Cidery in upstate New York, you know, they, she's very young, and uh, they're very young, and they called Steve, and it all happened. He sent them the six, hooray, hooray. Um, and a lot of people now who need bittersweet and bittersharps for their juice are buying it because they know their cider will become more distinctive. And the whole thing is great. And now stage three is that more conventional apple growers are able to plant cider apples with the assurance of being able to sell them. 
Yeah, and, and on that, one another member of the American Fine Ciders is Dan Wilson mm-hmm. in Slyborough, who is similar to Steve in that um, they both grew up working on an orchard and growing um, traditional apple fruit, apple fruit, and 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 have and but both of them started Dan not as long as Steve, but you know has been making cider for a long time at this point, and both grows. You know he has a big orchard of Macintosh and all that, but also is, has been growing cider apples and making really nice cider. So he's he, that, yeah. that's another um, uh, part of our uh, yeah. collective right now, which is okay, still actually we didn't get Foggy Ridge. Um, okay, and then after Foggy Ridge is Slyboro. And they have they have some beautiful stuff. They have um, and they're they're showing two ciders at this at this tasting, which will be over by the time anybody hears this. But the list of American fine ciders to you guys, it's Eden. Well, Eves, no, see that's that's not Farnham true. Hill, we, we Foggy don't, Ridge. Well, no, West County. No, we Slyboro. just happen to be the people of this in this spirit who happened to it's be doing this. It's an improvisational collective. Yeah. Let's but call them there's other foreign side, fine ciders. <laughs> there there's lots of other ciders. foreign ciders A lot there. of them are on the West Coast, you know? Yeah. I mean, like Easy Orchards, fabulous stuff. And what he does is like trapeze work. He depends on wild yeast, you know? And, he, and it's never gone wrong for him. We don't do that. We wouldn't dare do that. You know, so everybody's wild got different approaches and there are some, there's some gorgeous ciders being made out outside the range to for which we can, you know, get people involved. But it's okay for you guys to just say who in your group because oh, well, it's, we, it's your group of friends and you, you yeah, kind of yeah. have a similar philosophy yeah. of, of what cider should be and that's okay because first of all our consumers and our restaurant and bar friends want to know what are the best ciders to, to, to buy and serve yes. and, and it's okay for you guys to think about putting a label on it or an association it is I guess but what we don't, if you don't want to do nobody's going to know that, that I'm drinking West County and Farm Hill right now, and right. between you and me, those are about the only two sires I drink every day because they're so good. Okay, well, and they're maybe, very, have to endorse, maybe you'll endorse be president sometimes, Jimmy, if you keep it up. Um, but, it, it, but here's our problem: there are new cider makers coming on the scene all the time. We don't want to set ourselves up as judges. What we know is, though, the people who are as serious as we are, and as land based as we are, and as like OCD as we are. A lot of them make ciders that aren't very good anyway. So that's a problem. So we can call them orchard ciders and grower ciders all day, and and they may not be very good. On the other hand, there are all kinds of people coming into it that we may not know, or they may be too far away, or you know that we're just not involved with, and they may be making gorgeous, gorgeous stuff. So what we don't want to say is we're on a list and you're not. We don't want to say that. What we want to say is that there just is a, a group of friends yeah. that, that are making cider that, that we believe in, uh, and we're trying to get the word out, right. I think, partly on the kind of cider that we're making. And it's not, yeah. I think that group of friends can expand or, sure. it's not, but it's it's basically, it's more of an improvisational project than some fixed thing. And it's kind of, we're trying to get the word out on the possible yeah, like, complexity. Like-minded people making right, a good right. cider. Yeah. And we want the trade to understand that even though we don't have big promotional budgets and we don't have terrific designers and logos and billboards, that we exist because there's so much noise in cider world now that we could easily just disappear from the understanding of the trade. And everything depends on the wine and beverage professionals who care enough to pay attention, you know? So one of the things in our little tasting is a, a whole table of what we call debatables, this is which, really cool. is, um, which is stuff that, you know, is either yucky or a matter of taste, like reductive cider, 
um, acetic cider, heavily sugared cider. We've got a whole oxidative, oxi- <laughs> oxidative, and we have you know. So you're developing like a, a so it's a, a little training academy, yeah. It's a little model. academy, and people, you know, if people come through the door from whatever restaurant they work for and decide they love these things, good. That's fine. It's up to them what they like and don't like. We want them to know. We're running tight on time. So tell us about this other West County oh, the ginger, ginger gold. Ginger gold. Um, here. Can I just have a See, we would never dare make a cider out of ginger gold. See, yeah, that's something. guy's thing. insane. Ginger gold. I brought two of our fruit that's sort of... Um, iffy. Con- no, not iffy. In the, no, it's I'm conventional kidding. cider. It, people don't consider the ginger gold a cider apple. Um, I think that it has... This lovely sort of—it surprised me. It, it, I, I think it oh has a. Oh my god! This is great. What's yeah. the ABV on it? it, it oh. So I, I mean, I kind of get a kick out of making ciders out it's of apples that, that might get o- o- over overlooked. <laughs> and I think ginger gold is one of them. Like, this is weird. Okay, well, I'm going to try to make Steve try this just to just to copy you. <laughs> um. But yeah, it's sort of like just a, a t- modern apple. It's, it was probably the ginger gold apple. There's no ginger in this. It's just the apple's it's called ginger gold. It's named after the guy's wife. Ginger. Her, her okay, yeah. Ginger. So this is like an yeah. apple that was bred in like the 70s. People are still <laughs> breeding. All, it's like it's the Honeycrisp was bred in the 90s. So this is one of those modern... Um, but I made a cider from it, and I was like, oh, I like this. This is good. Yeah, it is good. Yeah, shockingly. <laughs> Hey, this has been a really cool show. We've talked about a lot of things, especially American Fine Cider. I'm, I'm urging you guys to, uh, you know, put a brand on that, and uh, we'll talk more about that in future okay, shows. Well. You'll be listening to the show sometime in, uh, you know, April or May of 2015. In closing, I'd like to thank our sponsors at Union Beer Distributors who have helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Thanks to uh, Lulu and Phil for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Justin and Maggie. And also to... Uh, Gay Howard of the United States of Cider, who's been helping me set up a lot of these great cider shows. And to our engineer, Jack Inslee, who's going to take this and clean it up and make it a show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time Thank you, on Jimmy. Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.